You can open your Bibles with me to Philippians chapter 3. Now, Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, is kind of the text that we're going to be going through over the next three weeks. It's kind of a big chunk. I want to preach it all together, all as one section, but there's just way too much in here um, to point out and to learn from that we can't do it all in one sermon, otherwise we'd be here until like 2 o'clock, and I don't think any of us would want that. So we broke it up. I broke it up into three sections uh, over the next three weeks, but I, I know it's over. It's all in one section, right? It's all in the book of Philippians, so it should all be together. But this passage specifically shows, really bleeds in to one another. Uh, you could, I could take verses 1 through 6, or I could go 1 through 3 and do, then do 4 through 8, and I could do 7 through 10. It's just really, you could have separate sermons on each one of these sections. So I just broke it up this way. We're going to do 1 through 3 today. Next week we'll do verses 4 through 8, possibly 9, depends on how I do on my study and see where things go from there. And then verses 9 and 10 and 11 in the following week. So three-part series, all talking about our confidence that we have in Christ. And today we're going to be looking at it in regards to salvation. But have you ever wanted to be duped and swindled? Any of you? No? Okay, me neither. Good, we're all in the same boat. We don't like being fooled. We don't like being scammed. How many of you remember when email like first started to be a thing? Okay, so a number of you remember that. And it wasn't too long after email first started to be a thing where there started to be scammers and things saying, emails saying that you can, you know, if you just give money here, then the Saudi prince will give you a million bazillion dollars or support this need of this charity that doesn't even exist. And people got fooled. People got swindled and duped into sending money to places they didn't know where they were sending money to. Just about a month or two ago, you're not going to believe this. Marcy got a phone call saying that she had multiple warrants out for her arrest. I don't know if you knew this. Ryan, don't, don't do anything, Ryan. I don't know if he's here this morning. Okay, okay, Ryan, okay. Don't worry, we got it all taken care of. We paid off everybody we need to pay off. She changed her name, so yeah. So we're, But like, really? Do you really think that that's how it's going to get us? Multiple warrants out for Marcy's arrest. Do you think they would, police would just stop on by? Like if they needed to get her for anything, just come by the house, we're, we're there, or stop by a church, we're here. So it was just like, yeah, that's, that sounds right. No, nobody wants to be fooled. Nobody wants to be duped into believing something that is not true. Our big idea for this morning is that salvation is in Christ alone. Watch out for anyone who says otherwise. Let's look at Philippians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 6, but really focus in on 1 through 3. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful for even difficult passages like this that call out people who preach uh, the false gospel, that preach something else other than by grace through faith alone for salvation. Help us to be able to spot those people in our lives. Help us to be able to see um, clearly and understand the truth so that we can have our confidence in Christ alone. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, you know how I know Paul's a good pastor here? Not because he's you know, gone through so much for the cause of Christ, endured lots of suffering. Not because he has actually written most of the New Testament in our Bible, but because he says the word finally and then goes on for another 44 verses, right? Isn't that the mark of a good pastor? Somebody who says, in conclusion, and then keeps going and going and going, and you're like, wait a minute. I don't think in conclusion means what he thinks it means, right? So he says the word finally here in chapter 3, verse 1, but obviously he's not closing things up. He's not ready to stop. This is his way of showing that he's talking about a new subject, that he's bringing up something different because he didn't write with chapter titles and verses, numbers, and all these headings or anything like that. So he's showing to them that he's switching to another focus, but yet while switching to another focus, he still mentions rejoicing. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Now, this isn't something new in here, but rejoicing, why he's rejoicing actually is something a little bit different that he's going to focus on. He talks about rejoicing in the Lord. Now, as he mentioned, it's no trouble for him to write this. And out of the nine times that he talks about rejoicing in this letter, the first five times we've seen already in chapters one and two, he talks about rejoicing uh, that Christ is proclaimed even though out of selfish motives. He rejoiced knowing that they are praying for him. He's rejoicing as he's laboring for Christ. He rejoices in, while encouraging the Philippians to rejoice with him. And he also encourages them to rejoice as they get to see Epaphroditus again in chapter 2. So the focus is not of why they are rejoicing, but of who they are rejoicing in. Their focus must be to rejoice in the Lord, not in their circumstances. Because as we can see from Paul, what he was rejoicing in, being those preachers out of false motives, in laboring, which was a very difficult thing for him to do, to labor for Christ, all of that he said to rejoice in. Rejoicing is not circumstantial circumstantial when you're rejoicing in the Lord. I'll say that again, because I messed it up the first time. Rejoicing is not circumstantial when you are rejoicing in the Lord. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If we're commanded to rejoice in the Lord, it must be always, and not just when things go our way. And as we read this morning, Philippians 4.4, we'll tackle that part later. For this morning, our focus here, first we need to reject false teaching. Reject false teaching. We need to avoid them. As Paul is writing here, as he in verse 1, he says, It's no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. It's no trouble for him to point out false teachers in the church. It's an important task to do. Uh, while these false teachers are preaching something other than Christ alone for salvation, 
that's still a difficult conversation to have. If there are people in the church preaching this, it's still a difficult thing. I think it'd be hard to bring up these people who are preaching this other way to Christ. But he says, it's no trouble for me, and it's safe for them. For him to bring up these people who are false teachers and then say, it's safe for you, he's showing them, as I illuminate, as I bring up who these people are, this will protect you. It will save you from false doctrines and false teachings. Paul's directing his anger here, as you can see, these look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh in verse 2. This is a focusing on Judaizers. Now, you might not be familiar with Judaizers. Judaizers are Jewish people that thought that Gentile Christians needed to submit themselves to the Mosaic law in order to really be a Christian. So basically that means that they thought they needed Jesus plus some works, like circumcision is what they really focused on, and following all of the Mosaic Testament, they needed to do all of that in order to really be a Christian. They needed Jesus plus. Now Paul demonstrates his shock to this false gospel when he talks to the Galatians in Galatians 1. He says, if anyone is preaching you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. He says these people, these believers, were also so quickly turning to a different gospel, turning from the grace of Christ. These Judaizers were preaching something different. It was the gospel, Jesus plus works. But if you put in there, it ceases to be the gospel. It sounds an awful lot like many of the churches that are out there. There's the Mormon church that says Jesus plus all that you can do. There's the Catholic church that says Jesus plus the sacraments. There are other denominational churches that say Jesus plus baptism. Jesus plus what you can give. Or Jesus, the only way you can hold on to Jesus is if you do all these other things. If you follow all of these other laws, then you can hold on to your salvation. It's a shock to me. I don't understand it how so many people can follow them when the word clearly says something different Christ alone for salvation. And so, how do people give in to giving a guy like Creflo Dollar millions of dollars just so he can have a newer private jet? It's shocking. All these prosperity churches out there just making money and bringing in more and more and more say you have to give in order for you to be right with God. They give you the gospel. It's so deceiving because they give you Jesus. They say, here, it's Jesus. But also this. That's why it's so deceiving. It sounds good. It sounds right. They sound like they know what they're talking about. But then they add other things onto it. Some of the places I think we need to be most on guard is with popular Christian books and movies that come out. Again, there's a good way of knowing and doing a biblical test. Uh, From James 4.4, it says, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? So friend with the world, you're an enemy of God. So if the world, who is bashing the Bible and bashing Christianity left and right, if they're all of a sudden saying, Ooh, this is a good Christian book. This is great. I think it's awesome. You might want to at least have your antennas up. You might want to at least think, okay, wait a minute. The last segment, they were against Christians, and now they think this is a good Christian book. 
I don't know how that might work. So at least have your antennas up and be on guard against what the world might say, this is good Christianity. Paul tells a young pastor here in Timothy, he says, oh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions in what is falsely called knowledge. He says we need to guard the truth and we need to avoid these false teachings. We need to avoid irreverent babble, contradictions, what is falsely called knowledge. We have to guard our hearts and minds, knowing the truth and rejecting false teachers. Judaizers, that Paul's referring to, here he calls them, look and see in verse 2, look out for the dogs. Now, some of you love dogs, right? Are you out there, dog lovers? Okay, a number of you. Now, in the first century, dogs were not pets at all. Okay, dogs were not cuddly, you didn't add them as a part of your family and call them your children or anything like that. In the first century, dogs were scavengers and they would eat just about anything. Anytime you see a dog, you want to get away because they're disgusting and gross, they're unclean and they're dangerous. In scripture, when it talks about dogs, they're not talked about in a flattering light. Again, I'm not saying like dogs are bad, okay, I'm just, this is what he's talking about here, okay? Don't get on me, all you dog lovers. Don't get mad at me here. But when Scripture talks about dogs, he's in Proverbs, it talks about a dog returning to its vomit. In 1 Kings, dogs eating Jezebel. Matthew, not giving dogs what is... In Revelation, lumps dogs in with sorcerers and the sexually immoral. Basically, to call somebody a dog is not a good thing back then. Again, it's probably not a good thing now. But much like dogs, the Judaizers would roam around. They would look for people to devour with their false teaching. They have this false gospel that they're going around, and Paul's saying that they are disgusting. These people who are preaching this, they are unclean and they are dangerous. Don't have anything to do with them. He says, look out for them. Keep them far away. Keep them out at a distance. He then calls them evildoers. These same people, look out for the evildoers. Now, this one probably really got to the Judaizers. Now, the dogs thing, that probably did too, because Judaizers would often call Gentile people dogs. So that probably got to them as well. But to call, some, call one of them an evildoer would be really, really harsh for them because they are living their whole life as, you know, Jesus, that's great, plus we need to do all these other things. Like, that's, we need to do the works of the law in order to be saved. And so they have all these extra requirements. They have all these good works that are on their list of things to do. So they think they are good doers. I'm not sure if that's a word, but it is this morning. But they start doing everything good that they can try to accomplish in their life, and they think they're achieving it. And then what does Paul say? Let's look at verses 4 through 6. Paul says, you think you have reason to boast? You think you can make it to God by what you do? Guess what? I have more. He's like, I have the trump card. Look what I did. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. He's like, I have the pedigree. I have the background to show that I have more reason to boast. He says, I've been circumcised. Sorry, going on. As to zeal, as to the law, a Pharisees, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. He's like, I have got it. If anybody has all the good works, enough to be saved, it's me. Then look what he says in verse 7. 
But whatever I gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Counting it as loss, counting it all those things that I was trying to do to earn my salvation was evil. It was doing evil because it was against God. Romans chapter 3, verse 20, he says, By works of the law, no human being will ever be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. So if we want to try to count up our works in order to get to God, he's like, you do that, you're just going to find out how sinful you truly are. Then he goes on to help them understand a little bit more um, when he talks in 23 and 24 about how everyone has fallen short of the glory of God, for all have sinned and fallen short of that perfect standard set by God, set in the law. And he says, how are you justified in verse 24? He says, you are justified by grace as a gift from God. It's by grace as a gift. It's not on works. Romans eleven six 6 says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. It makes perfect sense. It's like having a black and white photo. The minute you color on it with a crayon, it ceases to become a black and white photo. It's over. It has color to it. So it can't be black, just black and white anymore because it has color. Same thing. If you think that it's, some works are added to grace, it ceases to become grace. It's not it at all. And then there goes the entire gospel. There goes exactly what Jesus has said and preached on that is by grace alone for our salvation. So we need to hold fast to the truth. We need to hold fast to the truth. Wait, sorry, I have some in Acts here too. I'm getting my pages mixed up. Sorry, here we go. Acts chapter 15. But some men came down from Judea and were teachers teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Then the Pharisees actually rose up and they said this, it is necessary, there we go, it is necessary to circumcise them and, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. They're saying, they want to be Christians, they got to keep the law. That's when Peter stood up and he says, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. It says, me as a Jewish person, how I'm going to be saved is the exact same way that these Gentiles are going to be saved, by the grace of God. And so this preaching of something else, that Jesus plus, there's, there's something else that you have to do in order to be saved, it's not just a misunderstanding. It's not just that they have room for growth. This is evil. And he calls them evil doers. And I think it's okay that we call things evil that are against God. Because it's evil for us to say that we can do something to earn our salvation. Jesus did something that was nice, but I did something too, so really we're both kind of on the same playing field. That would be an evil thought, wouldn't it? An evil statement. Or to say that God is a liar. I know he says it's only through grace. I know he says it's only through Jesus, but... I think I still need to work for it a little bit. That would make God a liar. And isn't that evil? Isn't that against God? Moves on to talking about this, those who um, mutilate the flesh, or in the New American Standard Bible it says false circumcision. 
Again, this belief, that saying that you have to be circumcised in order to live, in order to have life everlasting. Now, this word mutilate, it reminded me of a story back in the Old Testament in 1 Kings 18. It's where the 450 prophets of Baal um, were standing up against the one prophet Elijah and his God. Now, if you haven't read this story in, in the scriptures, this account, you should read it because it's an awesome display that God is the one true God, okay? But anyways, the story goes like this. The, the account is this way where these 450 prophets, they set up this altar. They said, okay, whosoever God, you know, the fire comes down and consumes this sacrifice, that'll be the real God. And Elijah's like, all right, let's go for it because I know your God doesn't exist. So I think I have a pretty good chance here. And so the 450 prophets, they're dancing around, they're running, they're yelling, and Elijah, the whole time, he's mocking them. He's like, yeah, yell louder, he can't hear you. It's like, like, no. He's like, it's like, maybe he's in the bathroom. It's it's in the Bible, it says that. He's like, can't hear you. He's like, maybe he's taking a nap, I don't know. And they're like, like, that just makes them more furious. So they're cutting themselves. It says they're mutilating, they're mutilating their flesh. They're cutting themselves, trying to get fire to come down from heaven from their God, which doesn't exist. And then after all of that effort, then Elijah just simply, simply prays, and God consumes the sacrifice, the stones, the water with the fire from heaven. It, sorry for that spoiler alert. God wins, okay? I, sorry if I ruined that story for you, but God is the only God out there, okay? But it's just that uselessness that that was pictured in my mind of them just dancing around to somebody who's not even there. Nothing could happen from that. The uselessness that they had is the same uselessness here for those who say that you need to work for it or that you just have to be circumcised in order to be saved. It's useless. Galatians 6.15, Paul says that the, neither circumcision nor counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but it's a new creation. And then in Romans chapter 2, it says, For circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the entire law. But if you break the law, what happens? Your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. And I know what you're thinking. You're saying, what does circumcision have to do with me? I don't struggle with this issue. But the main thing here is the thinking that there is something else that needs to be done in order for you to be saved. The minute someone says, do this, or even Jesus plus baptism plus sacraments plus good works plus, well, anything, the minute they say that, they're going to have to obey the entire law in order to be saved. Again, good luck with that. It's not going to happen. For all have sinned. We already read that. Every one of us has messed up. So then whatever you thought you were doing in order to earn your salvation, it becomes your undoing. It becomes your uncircumcision. It shows us exactly who we truly are. The minute we try to earn our salvation, we ruin our chances at being saved. But it's only by the grace of God that we are saved. It shows us the depravity of our own hearts, our own efforts to be saved. And this teaching is not only wrong, but it is evil and it is against God. That's why we're to look out for these people. This is why he uses such harsh language with them after strictly warning them. 
then that of these people, these dogs, these evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh, after warning them, he says, it's not about circumcision. He then says, verse 3, for we are the circumcision. What? As I was reading through this, I'm like, help me understand this. He just said it's not about that. And then he now says, we are that. (laughs) It's not about circumcision. We are the circumcision. Let's look at this and try to understand this together. All along in the Old Testament, while they had the outward circumcision, it was always about the heart. In Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 10, Jeremiah 4, they all have reference to the circumcision of the heart. So it's about the inward, not about the outward. It's about the inward heart turning to Christ by his saving grace, not about any efforts that we can have. So we are the circumcision. We need to hold fast to truth. If we're going to be able to avoid these false teachers, we need to know the truth and hold fast to it. So these are three ways that you can have confidence in your salvation. Now, if you don't know if you're saved, I want to encourage you to come speak with me afterwards about how you can have this confidence, this level of assurance, knowing that you are right with God. You can have that today if you know him. I encourage you to come speak with me afterwards. First here, we see that you worship by the Spirit of God. I'm just going to write out exactly what he has here in the text in verse 3. Those who worship by the Spirit of God. John 4.23 says this, But the hour is coming, and is now here, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and true truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The only true worship that happens must be done in the Spirit. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so through faith in Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit. And so the only true worship that can happen is done by the Spirit of God. So you know and can it be um, solid and have confidence in your salvation as you are worshiping by the Spirit. You know it's not in any of your own efforts that you came to God. It's only by His grace. Romans 8, 26. It's up there. It says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. The Spirit goes to God on our behalf. I hope you see how this all connects together. In a commentary called Opening Up Philippians, he says this, No operation of the flesh can produce true worship of God, which is spiritual in nature. I'll say that one more time. No operation of the flesh, no works, do, none of that can produce true worship of God, which is spiritual nature. Because worshiping God, God is spirit. It must be done by the spirit. So we can have confidence in him because our worship is enabled by the spirit. Secondly, we glory in Christ. You can have confidence in your salvation if you are glorying in Christ. This word glory also means to boast. And boasting or bragging on, this is one of the most commonly questions I get um, from teenagers is when I do something really well, how do I give glory to God as opposed to receiving it for myself? Because when you do really well at your game or your performance, usually people come up to you and say, great job, you're so awesome, you did so well. And they don't want to be like, yes, yes I am, thank you, (laughs) I'm amazing. But they also don't want to say, no, I'm terrible, 
I'm the worst, and try to portray this false humility. It's like, I know I made the winning bucket to win the state championship, but I'm terrible. I know my solo was amazing, but I, I don't even know how to play this instrument. And they don't want to have false humility. So how do you do it? How do you, they want to boast in the Lord, but it's kind of a difficult thing at times, right? When people are trying to praise you. So just be encouraged. As people may try to praise you, just direct their attention to God. And say, praise the Lord. Say, like, yeah, well, thank you for that. And I'm encouraged. And I'm encouraging the Lord to, to serve him in these ways. And just turn your attention to God. As Paul says in um, 2 Corinthians 10, 17, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If we have any reason for lifting someone up, it must be Christ. Because tell me what good you have done in your life apart from the grace of God. We can't even take our next breath apart from the grace of God. So tell me what you've done. Tell me what energy you've expended that God has not given to you, that God has not allowed you to have. It is by his grace. So everything about us and our accomplishments, any good things that we do, it's only by God's grace. And Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, when things were going very badly for Paul, he had that thorn in his flesh He says this, but God said to me, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That part's very familiar to us, but we usually stop there, but let's see what Paul says later in the verse. When things aren't going well for him, because of the grace of God in his life, he says, therefore, I will boast all the more of gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This boasting in his weakness is really just showed off how great his Savior was, how awesome and the strength of his Savior. So if in the, our great accomplishments, we are to glory only in Christ, in our weaknesses and failures, we are only to glory in Christ, then when it comes to our salvation, we are to glory only in Christ. Nothing that we have done. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, it's not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And how clear he makes it in Galatians six thirteen and 14, we read it already this morning. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. Even those who are doing the law think they got it all taken care of. He's like, they're not even fulfilling the entire law. But they desire to have you circumcised that you may boast in your flesh. He says, but far be it for me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Even if we are doing all the right things, guess what? That's not going to earn us our salvation. Our righteous works are like filthy rags. So why is this one work for the Judaizers, the circumcision, why is that so important to them? Why are they placing so much importance on this one action over another? It's kind of like, the, I think, the baptismal regeneration of today, where there are some churches just pick this one command of God to be baptized, where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples and baptize them. They pick that one thing and say, oh, that means you have to be saved. You need to be baptized in order to be saved. That's not what he said. <laughs> Jesus did not say to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me in paradise. After you get off the cross, go down and get baptized by somebody and then come back on the cross and then die. That's not what Jesus said. He said, today you will be with me in paradise. That thief did not have to be baptized in order to be saved. He just needed faith in the Son of God. That's it. 
nothing else. And that's why we can put no confidence in the flesh, no confidence in anything that we do. We think we've worked hard enough, we've done well enough in our life that we can earn our salvation. No. That's why we can have confidence in our salvation because it doesn't depend on us. If it depends on me, I'm going to live in a constant state of, did I do enough good today versus yesterday? Right? I mean, I'm sure many of you have been there in your life before, before you knew Christ, that you're in that mode of like, I don't know if I did enough today. I don't know where I stand. If I lay my head on my pillow tonight, and if I were to die, I don't know if I did enough good. And you can't have any confidence in that if you're putting it all on your flesh. But if it's all on Christ, if he is the only reason for you to be saved, if your faith is only in him, you can have confidence. So don't put any confidence in the flesh. That should be Romans 8.8. 8. I'm sorry, I messed up the reference there. Romans 8.8. 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. When the scripture talks about the, the desires of the flesh, it's not a good thing. 1 Peter uh, 2.11 says, abstain from the passions of the flesh. 1 John 2.16 says, the desires of the flesh is not from the Father. There's a reason why we should not put our confidence in our fleshly desires. This is why we constantly rail against the follow your heart or be true to yourself or do what makes you happy or speak your truth. If we give ourselves over to these mantras, we're going to find ourselves in opposition to God. It is truly saddening when we see this from professing born-again born believers that they live as if their confidence is in their flesh. They're living for themselves trying to put all their confidence in just th- what they can do. It's sad. It's as if they really believe these dogs, these evildoers, these mutilators of the flesh. For Paul, it was safe for him to write about this. It's a difficult thing to talk about somebody and say that they're an evildoer, <laughs> to call them out on these teachings. But it was safe for the people. And that's why it's important for under-shepherds to call out people who are preaching a false gospel because it makes it safe for all of us. If we know who they are, if we can see who they truly are, then it protects us from that false teaching. We can see where the danger lies. We can see where there might be wolves in sheep's clothing. So we need to point these things out. We need to watch out for them. We need to be on guard. And we're mostly on guard when we're studying the scriptures faithfully. When we're not just reading it just to check it off our list. I know we have, that goes really against what we have back there on the tables where there's a bunch of lists that you check off as you read it. But I encourage you as you're reading those and checking off those boxes that you truly, truly seek to know him. You seek to know the scriptures. You need to know the truth so that you don't get duped. So that you don't get swindled by people who maybe they offer up a lot of Jesus and you're like, that sounds really good. That sounds right. And then in the side, they say, oh yeah, plus you got to do this too in order to be saved. Or plus you got to do this to hold on to your salvation. Watch out for them. This is why we focus our attention here at Calvary by studying the scriptures. When we preach, we preach from the word and we go straight through texts. This is why we have uh, the songs that we have. I don't know if you noticed, but the songs that we chose uh, for this morning go right along with this text about rejoicing in the Lord, how great is our God. And one of my favorites, the power of the cross. It's not the power of us. We're teaching truth through the songs that we sing. 
It says through the power of the cross, not in us. It goes so well and it helps us. That's why we pick those songs. This is why we preach uh, from the word. This is why we have our ABFs and our Wednesday night studies. All the things that we're doing, we're having this so that we can help teach you truth. And so we can grow together and learn about Christ and so we can avoid these false teachings that are out there and they are prevalent out there. We need to be equipped so that we can know first what the truth is and secondly that we can stand on it. And lastly, but most importantly, I want us to walk out of here not afraid of what those false teachers might say. I want us to think about how we can hold fast to Christ, our confidence in Christ, because that's really what it's about. We're going to avoid those false teachers. There's no confidence in them. If we are confident in our salvation through Christ alone, then we're not going to be swindled or duped by any false teachers out there. Have your confidence in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much. We're thankful for the truth of your word so that it teaches us, instructs us, instructs me on what the truth is about salvation. Christ alone, through faith alone, by grace alone. Help us to remember that. Help us to hold on to it. Have our confidence in him so that we don't get swayed by anyone else out there. That we don't get um, turned aside from what is true. Keep us in your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.